This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I am your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to listen in today. A joining me on segments two and three of today's program is the head of global research at Gold Money, Mr. Alistair McLeod. Alistair is a returning guest to the program. I always enjoy Alistair's perspective, and he is uh, one of the hardest working analysts in the business. So I know you're going to enjoy my conversation with Alistair. I caught up with him from his offices in the UK this past week. And again, that will be in segments two and three of today's program. It is April, which means I have a brand new April 2023 special report for you. The April special report is titled Five Forecasts for the Economy and Investing Markets. You can get your copy of the report by visiting requestyourreport.com. In the report, I offer my perspective and my forecast for the economy and investing markets, along with the forecast of four radio guests whose whose opinions I very much respect. Uh, These uh, gentlemen have appeared on the program over the past couple months. So I've compiled their forecast in the April 2023 special report, and it also includes, more importantly, some strategies to consider for your money moving ahead. When you request the report, I'll not only send you that report, you'll also get a copy of the best-selling revenue sourcing book. You'll also get a copy of the Little Black Book on Social Security Maximization. You'll get literally a box of free resources. So again, visit requestyourreport.com to get the April 2023 special report, as well as the books and bonus information as well. One of the themes of the April 2023 special report, when we're looking at a forecast for the economy, and of course, the forecast for the investing markets will closely follow the forecast for the economy, one of the big themes is debt. There is a lot of debt that exists worldwide. Now, the reality is that asset bubbles are fueled by easy credit or debt accumulation. Put another way, prosperity illusions are fueled by easy credit and debt accumulation. Debt is an economic drag. And let me give you just a brief example to make the point. Let's just say for a moment that you've been saving money or a new car, and you go buy a brand new car and you pay cash for it. Now let's assume that one of your neighbors sees the car in your driveway, falls in love with the very same car that you bought, and your neighbor decides to go buy the same exact car, but instead of saving up money to make the purchase and paying cash for the car, your neighbor decides to make payments on the car and finance the car. You, by saving the money first prior to buying the car, are spending prior production to buy the car. Let me explain what that means. In order to have the money in the bank to buy the car, you had to go to work, you had to produce something, and you had to set aside some of that production, some of that economic energy, if you will, to deploy it at a later date. Your neighbor, by deciding to make payments on the car, has to go to work tomorrow, has to produce something tomorrow, and your neighbor is spending 
future production to buy the car. So simply put, whenever you accumulate debt, you're borrowing against future production. You're literally stealing from future production. So when debt gets too high collectively, what it means is that there's not as much of tomorrow's production to spend when tomorrow gets here. And that's exactly where we are worldwide. Now, in the April 2023 special report, Mr. Egon von Greertz said this, global debt today is around $300 trillion. Well, that's hard to get your, your, your head around, but that's 14 to 15 times the United States gross domestic product. It's 14 to 15 times economic output in the United States. At the beginning of this century, worldwide debt was around 100 trillion. So what that means is worldwide debt has tripled in the last 20 years. And of course, if you go back 50 years to about the time that then President Richard Nixon closed the gold window or eliminated the convertibility of the dollar for gold, making the dollar a fiat currency, we had very, very low global debt because if you have sound money, debt bubbles cannot get nearly as large as they can under a fiat currency system. So there's $300 trillion worth of debt worldwide. That will be a huge drag on future economic output because that debt is going to have to be taken care of. And debt can only be taken care of one of two ways. Debt either has to be paid by making principal and interest payments, or the borrower simply defaults on debt and says, there's no way I can possibly pay that debt. But the debt problem doesn't stop there. Mr. Von Greyerts pointed out in his interview that derivatives outstanding worldwide are probably in the neighborhood of two quadrillion dollars. Now, Mr. Von Greyerts in his interview pointed out that 12 years ago, the Bank of International Settlements, which is the central bank of all central banks, reduced the outstanding derivatives with just a stroke of a pen. Outstanding derivatives went from 1.2 quadrillion to 600 trillion. But Mr. Von Greyerts points out it was actually fake accounting because the gross outstanding figure didn't change just because it was relabeled. Now that happened more than 10 years ago. And since that time, there's been a massive growth in derivatives. Now derivatives essentially are, to keep it simple, side bets between banks. Now, Mr. Von Greyerts says these derivatives will likely turn into debt at some future point. And that's how the $300 trillion in debt becomes more than $2 quadrillion in debt, if he is correct, in the coming years. And he's quite convinced that will happen. And he says that when that does happen, the central banks around the world will likely try to solve the problem using the only tool that they have left, and that is currency creation. And of course, if we get to that level of money printing, we will have more inflation, perhaps even hyperinflation, before we get debt deflation. 
Now, Murray Gunn, who is an analyst at Elliott Wave International, talks about the fact that debt really isn't a problem until it becomes excessive. When debt becomes excessive, you will have debt deflation coming. Now, if you want an example of debt deflation, you need only look at the 1930s. The 1930s, a period of time now known as the Great Depression, was actually a period of time when the country and the world suffered from debt deflation because these debt excesses have to be purged from the system. And Mr. Gunn points out that we're already heading down this road. Commercial banks are already tightening lending standards. This typically is something that precedes a recession. Dr. Robert McHugh, who is a technical analyst that appeared on the program in the last couple of months, said this. He said, I believe we're in a recession now, and I believe we're going to go into a deeper one. And of course, this is a debt-driven recession. What this means is, in a consumer-driven economy like the United States economy, the U.S. economic output is dependent 70% plus on consumer spending. Economic growth in the U.S. is dependent on you and I going out and spending money. And if we have debt excesses, that means that we've consumed a lot of tomorrow's production, which means we won't have as much of tomorrow's production to spend tomorrow. That's where we find ourselves. I think that will likely be bad news for stocks moving ahead. I think that will be bad news for real estate moving ahead, with just a couple exceptions. Now, if you'd like to learn more, I would encourage you to request the April 2023 special report. When you request the report, you will also get a copy of the Revenue Sourcing Book, which contains a planning strategy for the current economy. You'll also get a copy of the Little Black Book on Social Security Maximization. If you're trying to figure out how to collect your Social Security benefits most effectively, I'd encourage you to request this package of information as well. The April 2023 special report is titled Five Forecasts for the Economy and Investing Markets. You get the report, the revenue sourcing book, as well as the social security maximization book by visiting requestyourreport.com and letting me know where to mail your box of information. It is free. It is without any future obligation. Just go to requestyourreport.com and let me know where to mail all this information, and I'll be very glad to do so. I will be back after these words with my special guest, Mr. Alistair McLeod. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I have the distinct pleasure of chatting once again with returning guest, Mr. Alistair McLeod. Uh, longtime listeners will recognize Alistair as the head of research at Gold Money. You can learn more about Gold Money at goldmoney.com. And uh, you can click the Our Research tab on the Gold Money website. Again, that's at goldmoney.com. And um, many of Alistair's articles are featured there. And Alistair, welcome back to the program. Thank you for asking me. Well, you're very welcome. So, so Alistair, since we last talked, um, we've had some excitement with uh, Signature Bank, Silicon Valley Bank, Credit Suisse, uh, First Republic. Uh, what would you, uh, in your view, what, what is the health of the, the, the banking sector and is there more to come? 
Uh, well, I, the answer is, um, well, the two, <laughs> the two questions there. The answer to the first question is that the banking system is in a very precarious position, uh, which has been uh, exposed by rising interest rates. That's the first thing. And the second thing I would say is, yes, there is a lot more to come. And uh, even though um, there are signs that the rate of inflation is declining, it's not that that's driving interest rates up. What is driving interest rates up is contracting bank credit. When bank credit contracts, interest rates rise simply because at the same time as it contracts, demand for credit tends to increase. So you get this clash, as it were, with banks reluctant to lend. Now, that is a process which has hardly started. We have seen uh, the um, uh, level of um, deposits in the banking system fall. That's really what uh, the declining M2 and M3 statistics are about. But, we, but all that has so far reflected is sales of bonds um, and also a reduction of cash balances within the banks. So all in all, I think that the real um, credit crunch is only just developing. So, <clears throat> Alistair, when, when, when you look at, uh, just here in the States, uh, when, when you look at FDIC, when you look at the insurance programs that insure bank deposits, I think the deposit uh, insurance reserve fund has about $170 billion in it to insure $11 trillion of bank deposits. So it seems that if, if depositors are going to be made whole, if there are more banking failures, that's going to lead to more quantitative easing and, and currency creation by, by the Fed and other central banks. Would you agree with that statement? Uh, yes, it's inevitable. Um, it, it is a primary duty for a modern central bank to ensure the integrity of the commercial banking system. And by that, I mean that all depositors must be protected. So the idea that an insurance fund is there to just protect the small depositors is actually a very misleading um, thing. Uh, the, the central banks have to protect everybody. And I think those of us who are around during the Lehman crisis will remember the, the, uh, that moment when we could see the whole system literally falling apart in the wake of the Lehman collapse um, because the Fed or someone took a decision to make a moral judgment. That cannot happen. What has to be absolutely clear is that the central banks must rescue the entire banking network. So as to the point of it, of the cost of this, um, obviously the cost of this is absolutely enormous. And the central banks and uh, the, the treasury departments, government treasury departments, are going to take on an enormous load as a result of a banking crisis developing. It has to be that way, I'm afraid. There is no other alternative. So, Alistair, in, 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 in past conversations we've had here on the program, you have indicated that it's your view that, and, and please correct me if I'm, I'm misstating your view, but uh, my recollection is you have stated that a hyperinflationary outcome is, is probable, is, is certainly highly possible. Uh, does this just feed that that that? end game scenario that you've talked about? Uh, yes, it does. 
because um, the replacement of commercial bank credit, and this is happening in a slightly different way from, um, uh, if you like, a sort of, uh, I suppose, a normal way in which uh, hyperinflation takes place. But what we're about to see, I think, is that as commercial bank credit contracts, central banks will be forced to increase currency credit, as it were, central bank credit, uh, in order to uh, try and keep the economy and financial markets uh, um, stable and from to prevent them from collapsing. This is very, very important because uh, apart from anything else, it is a duty, another duty of the Fed to ensure that the government is properly funded. And uh, as you get a recession, and that's where we're going, and that is the consequence of contracting uh, commercial bank credit, uh, then the burden on government finances increases very substantially because revenue drops and welfare commitments increase. That has to be funded. And it's against that background that the Fed, I think, is going to have a very, very difficult dilemma. So, Alistair, if I'm interpreting what you're saying correctly, the Fed is really faced with a difficult choice. It's save the currency or save the economy and the financial system. Is that a good summary of what you just said? I think that's an excellent summary. And I think we know which they will choose. Uh, they're mandated to keep the show on the road. And that means that they will ignore the consequences for the currency uh, while they expand central bank credit, which, remember, is entirely feared and unanchored to anything. Um, I mean, in the past, it's always been currencies have been an anchored to gold or silver. Uh, and uh, they have taken their valuation cue from real money. And gold and silver have been real money since Roman times, if not before. So um, the, the situation with the feared currency is that it's bound to lead to a collapse of their purchasing power. So, um, and not only that, but if you look at the situation for the major central banks, the Fed, the ECB, the Bank of Japan, the Bank of England, they are all in negative equity themselves. If they were privately, um, they were private sector businesses, they would be trading fraudulently as it is because they're publicly, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're uh, government creatures, as it were, um, they can trade with negative equity for some time. But the situation is, is getting very, very precarious because how does a bank, which um, a, a central bank, which is in deeply in negative equity due to the bonds on its, on its balance sheet having fallen in value, how does it rescue a commercial banking network which is in difficulty for similar but very often different reasons? It is going to be a mess trying to sort that one out. And I'm sure that the consequence of this will be basically to rubbish the currency. Uh, that's the only thing that re can really give. So, Alistair, uh, I know this is a, a difficult question, and, and uh, you know, if you if you don't want to, to to venture a guess, I completely understand. But it seems like uh, th there is this accelerating move away from the U.S. dollar. It seems like th th there's a lot going on as far as currencies are concerned. Uh, well, what do you think the timing is on uh, you know major currency changes here? 
Well, I think it's in in, in uh, progress now, Dennis. Um, we've seen increasing numbers of currencies uh, of countries, as you point out, uh, moving away from um, a total commitment to the dollar uh, in you know for uh, payments for trade payments. Um, and also, the other thing is that while the West is going into some sort of recession. Um, and this is, again, I point out that this is due to contracting bank credit. This is not true in Asia. The um, uh, Chinese money supply is increasing. And the reason it's increasing is because capital is going into China. Capital is, is, is being provided by the banks for uh, economic expansion. And their economic expansion is an Asia-wide phenomenon. This really is uh, such a stark difference from us uh, in the West. So it means the whole of Africa basically are enthralled to the Asian hegemons. And um, I think it's a combination of that. And it's becoming very obvious to foreigners that there are huge dangers in the Western currency system. And it would be wrong to have all their eggs in that basket. So they're looking for alternatives. And so many countries are doing this at the same time that it is virtually impossible for uh, the U.S. government to um, follow its normal course of, let's say, um, you know, applying pressure on foreign governments not to accept other currencies in payment for trade. Um, and uh, so I'm afraid that uh, we have been blindsided by the sheer quantity of currencies, uh, sorry, of countries looking to move uh, move their, their activities towards China. Well, if you're just tuning in, you are listening to RLA Radio. I'm chatting today with returning guest, Mr. Alistair McLeod. He is the head of research at Gold Money. You can learn more about Gold Money at goldmoney.com. And uh, you can also check out Alistair's uh, very prolific uh, writings uh, at goldmoney.com. And Alistair, we have just enough time left in this segment for our listeners maybe that are not familiar with gold money, for you to tell them a little bit about what you do. Yes, indeed. Well, what gold money does is it stores on a custody basis gold, silver, platinum group metals uh, in vaults around the world for its customers. And we've got, I think, somewhere between one and a half and two billion dollars worth of um, metals stored in about 11 different locations. Uh, and um, it's important to, to appreciate that we do not take the um, customer's money onto our own balance sheet. It is completely separate in accordance with proper bailment and custody rules. So that's what we do. And I write the research, which hopefully um, informs people about economics, about um, geopolitics, about the factors that, at the end of the day, drive the relationship between fiat currencies and true money, which has always legally been gold and silver. And we will talk more about that in the next segment when RLA Radio, RLA Radio returns with Mr. Alistair McLeod. Stay with us. You are listening to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Kuberg, and I'm chatting today with the head of research at Gold Money, Mr. Alistair McLeod. Uh, you can read his research at goldmoney.com. And, and Alistair, um, well, let's just jump in and talk a little bit about, um, you know, fiat currencies. 
Um, when, when you study fiat currencies historically, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, we're not really debating when key fiat currencies fail. Or we're not debating if they fail. We're really debating when they fail. Is, is that a fair statement? I think that is a fair statement. Every currency failure in the past has been of um, a fiat currency. Uh, you never get a currency which is properly bound to precious metals, which, as I said in the first segment, is legal money. You never get one of them failing. And every time that a fiat currency has been replaced by another fiat currency, that has failed as well. Because fiat currencies depend for their, um, for their value on their credibility amongst their users. There is nothing else than that credibility. And if that credibility goes, the currency goes. So, Alistair, I interview a, a, a lot of uh, a lot of people here on the program, a lot of very bright people, and uh, I would say, you know, there, there's probably 40 percent or so of the people that I interview that say that uh, who are very credible, who say that we will not see a gold-backed currency in the future, and and, and I would say about 60 percent will say that, you know, we are we're going to revert back to a currency that will be backed by something tangible like gold or silver. Uh, uh, simply because it's going to require that to get confidence or so, so the users of the currency have confidence in it. Um, do, do you think that we will return uh, somewhere in the world back to a gold-backed currency at some point? And what, if so, what currencies do you think are likely candidates to lead the way? It, well, that's a fascinating question. Um, it's hard to envisage our currencies going back onto some sort of standard. Um, but then if they really start collapsing, uh, we can probably imagine that a bit <laughs> a bit more. And as to your straw poll of 60% uh, thinking, well, you know, we could well return to a currency backed by something tangible. I think um, I would be right in saying that this is a very, very selective um, straw poll um, because by the nature of it, Gold Seek Radio is looking at precious metals and looking at the world from that point of view. Um, but uh, passing on from that slightly, I think that the current developments in Asia are fascinating. There's a guy called Sergei Glaziev who's been appointed by the Eurasian Economic Union uh, to head a committee to design a new currency which is specifically for pricing commodities and for cross-border trade settlement. The idea is that the dollar in Asia will be replaced completely. Furthermore, this currency is intended to be uh, extended to anyone in the Shanghai Cooperation Organization and BRICS on BRICS Plus who wants to participate in it. So we could be looking at something which is available to the vast majority of the world's population insofar as they are citizens of the countries that could participate. Now, Glaziev's views on this have evolved somewhat from the original statement, which I think was back in about April last year, when he was talking about a currency which might be composed of a basket of participating nations' currencies and the commodities which they tend to deal in. Um, that sort of got refined down to a basket of commodities. Now, on the 27th of December, Glaziev made a statement, or rather he wrote an article in a business magazine in Moscow, clearly laying out his thoughts. And the similarity with my thoughts on this, I thought, was really quite remarkable. 
he has obviously concluded that uh, such a currency should be based entirely on gold and some form of convertibility. So he is trying to design that. And the other thing is that he was also talking in that article in the sense of backing the ruble with gold, which becomes a lot more interesting. And I think that is the way in which it is going. And if they can design this currency sensibly, it could work very, very well without uh, the Triffin dilemma, which uh, has been driving the relationship between the dollar as a reserve currency and the rest of the world. You may recall that Triffin uh, uh, postulated that uh, the United States had to run a continual deficit to ensure a supply of dollars to go around the world. Well, that's not really necessary. What you need is an efficient producer of bank credit because most of that bank credit becomes um, uh, self-extinguishing. It finances trade. And when the trade is delivered and paid for, the credit uh, uh, disappears. So you don't actually need to have a reserve-based system. So I think what we're going to see is we're going to see the majority of the world, and it's not our world, this is someone else's world, it's the Asian world leading it, um, with everybody else enthralled to it in, from the point of view of emerging economies, but not us. And it will be, I think, gold-based somehow. It will be credit expanded on the back of gold, but tied to the gold price. And it will be used to price commodities, replacing the dollar, and it will also um, be used for cross-border cross trade purposes. So this, I think, is the way it is likely to evolve. How we respond to that is going to be an interesting question because the development of such a currency is bound to undermine the dollar, the euro, sterling, and the yen. Well, and Alistair, from, from some of the uh, articles I've been reading, from some of the research I've been reading, it seems that you know, the, this whole notion that, that BRICS would develop this, this, this currency based on something tangible, uh, it's, it's attracting interest from a lot of countries, Germany, Mexico, countries that, that I was kind of surprised to see that, that were maybe jumping on the bandwagon at this point. Uh, yes, they are. At this stage, what they're doing is they're looking at the attractions of the yuan relative to the dollar. And there is no doubt that uh, the yuan currency, I think, has got better prospects in the near term before the new currencies um, actually come into existence. Um, the reason I say this is that the level of um, inflation in China is only about 1.8 to 2% and thought to be declining. At the same time, bank credit is expanding and the reason it's expanding is because uh, loans are being created to finance production on an Asia-wide um, industrialization project. I mean, this is enormous. It is absolutely enormous. So you can see that countries are attracted to that relative position compared with the dollar, where we have a fragile financial system a developing banking crisis, and we will have further rises in interest rates from contracting credit, which somehow the Fed and the other major central banks in the West is going to have to counteract. So, Alistair, all this, it would seem, is going to have to be very bullish for precious metals. Uh, 
Well, what's your forecast for gold and and or silver moving ahead? <laughs> That's um, I'm often I I never actually make forecasts because I, what we're looking at is not so much gold and silver rising. What we're looking at is currencies falling. And uh, let me put it this way: if I was to suggest that at some stage in the future the price of gold would be a hundred thousand dollars you would think, well, that's absolutely nuts. You can't have a bull market like that. It's just crazy. If, on the other hand, I say that the purchasing power of the dollar is going to decline, the dollar is in a bear market rather than gold in the bull market, and at some stage there will be $100,000 to an ounce of gold, you can begin to understand that a lot more easily than um, a forecast that gold is in a bull market and it's going to go to whatever level. So, Alistair, when you, when you, when you have a, a currency that's tied to something tangible, and uh, as you said, Mr. Glasiev has been talking about some gold convertibility uh, in this currency, uh, it, it would seem that w w when you just compare that to what happened uh, with Bretton Woods, that uh, when, when gold was just arbitrarily priced at $35 an ounce, up from $20 an ounce uh, a little more than a decade prior, that 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 has to equate to a, a very big number if the same rationale is used. Well, yes, um, but I think that big number is 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 a reflection of the collapse of uh, paper currencies rather than a rise in the in the value of gold, if you like, measured it against uh, commodities and um, and production. So that that's the key point I think to understand is currencies going down. And um, we've already seen from uh, the Bretton Woods uh, agreement being suspended in um, August 1971, we have seen a loss of 98% of the dollar's purchasing power measured against legal money, and legal money is gold. With sterling, it's 99%. Yet as users of these currencies, we, we are hardly aware of this. I mean, yes, we are aware that over time, you know, prices have been rising or there's been inflation. But, you know, we think in terms of the currencies being stable, it's the prices that are rising, we think. Now, the moment the general public understands that it's not prices rising, but the currency falling, then at that point, the currency is doomed and there is no, um, there, there is absolutely no prospect of it coming back unless it is used as a means to distribute gold amongst the population by being tied um, credibly to a gold standard. Well, my guest today has been Mr. Alistair McLeod. He is the head of research at Gold Money. You can learn more at goldmoney.com. And I would encourage you to check out Alistair's articles there. He is a prolific writer. You can click the Our Research link on the goldmoney.com website. Alistair, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you. Uh, I know uh, I appreciate your perspective. I know the listeners do as well. Uh, thank you for joining us, and I'd love to have you back down the road. I would like that very much too, Dennis. Thank you very much for asking me. We will return after these words. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Thanks again to my special guest, Mr. Alistair McLeod, for joining me on today's program. Today, I want to offer everyone the opportunity to get the April 2023 special report. 
when you do request the report by visiting requestyourreport.com. You'll also get a copy of the Revenue Sourcing Book, which contains a retirement planning strategy for today's economy. You'll also get a copy of the Social Security Maximization Book titled The Little Black Book on Social Security Maximization. You'll also get some bonus information as well as the April 2023 special report titled Five Forecasts for the Economy and Investing Markets. Again, to get all that information, visit requestyourreport.com. Let me know where to mail that information, and I'll be very glad to get it out to you. You know, in the first segment, I talked about the fact that debt excesses are a drag on future production because debt consumes future production. But that's not the only headwind the economy is facing. As you're probably aware, we've been experiencing significant inflation over the past couple of years, and that has really made the U.S. dollar fall out of favor around the world. Michael Mahari, who writes for Ship Gold, pointed out in an article on April 5 that China and Brazil recently finalized a trade deal in their own currencies, which completely bypasses the U.S. dollar. I talked about that here on the program when it happened. But now last week, a Russian official announced that the BRICS nations are working to develop a new currency that could be used in trade among the BRICS countries. Now, BRICS is an acronym uh, which uh, stands for the countries Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. And these countries are working to develop a new currency to bypass the dollar. Now, the deputy chairman of the Russian Legislative Assembly, Alexander Babakov, said this transition to settlements and national currencies is just the first step. Now, India and Russia have also put together a deal to allow them to settle trade between those two countries using their currencies, bypassing the U.S. dollar. This August, the BRICS countries are holding a summit. And the topic of that summit is to advance this idea of a single currency. And they've talked about or floated the idea that this currency would be pegged to gold or other groups of tangible assets. And I think that's really something to think about in this current economy. You have to ask yourself what assets you have in your portfolio that are not the liability of someone else. What assets do you have in your portfolio that can stand themselves, that are tangible. Do you have gold? Do you have silver? Do you have assets with no counterparty risk? Now, Iran has officially applied to join BRICS, and there are other countries that have expressed interest in joining the bloc, including Saudi Arabia, Algeria, United Arab Emirates, Egypt, Argentina, Mexico, and Nigeria. So the question, of course, is, uh, will this lead to more inflation? Or as we talked about in the first segment, will this lead to these debt excesses lead to a deflationary collapse? Well, Matthew Piepenberg, who is a colleague of Egon von Greyer, whom I referenced in the first segment, suggested that this deflation will give way to more inflation. And he suggests that because the U.S. is running huge deficits, because the U.S. has $33 trillion in debt by the end of the year, because tax receipts are declining, 
because the true interest expense to service the U.S. debt is going up, because banks are tightening credit, and because of this de-dollarization move around the world, the U.S. will find itself in a position where it has to create currency to survive. Now, if you go back and take a look at what happened uh, when Paul Volcker increased interest rates uh, back around 1980, Volcker increased interest rates to the point that U.S. monetary policy was credible. This gave uh, oil producing countries the confidence to be able to price their oil in U.S. dollars and take their profits from the oil and put it into U.S. treasuries. That, however, has changed. The U.S. has a very high level of debt. We all know by doing some simple fourth grade math that this debt can't possibly be paid. And the current Fed war on inflation has seen interest rates rise to a level that is less than about a quarter of what Mr. Volcker raised interest rates to in 1980. So we can't see, there's no way that the current Fed can get interest rates to the level they need to, to make U.S. monetary policy credible. That's according to Mr. Piefenberg, and I happen to agree. You know, when we see interest rates at 5% presently, roughly, which is lower than the current inflation rate, we've seen credit markets get crushed. There's no way interest rates can go to 15 to 20 percent like Mr. Volcker did. So the Fed cannot do what is needed this time around to prevent OPEC from looking outside the U.S. dollar, from looking outside U.S. treasuries to sell oil. And we're starting to see a move away from the U.S. dollar. Now, what does all this mean? Well, I interviewed some very bright people here on the program. and. Some of them say the Fed will hold course. The Fed will continue to increase interest rates until they get inflation under control. I happen to think that the Fed will be forced into creating more currency and the outcome that Mr. Piefenberg is describing, the outcome that you heard Alistair McLeod describe today um, will be more likely, the more likely outcome. So what do you do to protect yourself? Well, there are really one of two outcomes here, as I wrote in the 2016 book, New Retirement Rules. We will get deflation or disinflation because of debt excesses, or we will get inflation followed by deflation, perhaps hyperinflation followed by deflation. That's why you need to have a strategy in place that gives you the best opportunity to succeed in an environment that's going to be different than anything we've really ever seen. So to that end, I would invite you to get the April 2023 special report titled Five Forecasts for the Economy and Investing Markets. In it, I take excerpts from my interviews with Egon von Greyerts, Dr. Charles Nenner, Dr. Robert McHugh, and Murray Gunn. I also offer you my take, and I give you a forecast for the economy and investing markets. In addition to that report, I'll send you the revenue sourcing book. The Revenue Sourcing Book contains a retirement planning strategy for today's environment, a retirement planning strategy to deal with deflation or inflation followed by deflation, and you'll also get a copy of the Little Black Book on Social Security Maximization. 
There's also some bonus information that we'll include in the box that we send you. All you need to do to get this report and all the bonus information, including the two best-selling books, is to visit the website, requestyourreport.com. When you visit that website, I will be very glad to send you all this information. That's my program for this week. Hope you got something you can use. We'll be back here again next week.